Today's podcast starts with the most scared I've ever been in my life. Well, definitely the most scared I've ever been from something I chose to do. A few years back, my then girlfriend and now fiance got us a private flight on a hot air balloon for my birthday. We were traveling to Barcelona after a good friend had been married in France the week before. It was a stormy day in Spain, so our guides were scouring the countryside, frantically trying to find a clear pocket of air where we could get above the clouds. It felt like the opposite of the 1996 Bill Pullman Jody Foster vehicle Twister, which I watched last year and 100% still holds up. We finally found a gap in the storm and our guide sprang to work setting up two balloons. We were in a group of 10 other people, but they'd all be in one hot air balloon and it'd be just the two of us in the other. Our driver introduced the pilots. The first balloon will be flown by Mateo, he said. He holds a European record for most hot air balloon flights He's flown around the world three times in a hot air balloon, and he's widely known as one of the brightest and most experienced pilots in the field. He'll take the big group. He then pointed to us two and said, you'll be with Javier. Javier's from Argentina. He's new. As we floated up through the clouds thicker than whole milk, I asked Javier how he knew where the other balloon was so we didn't run into it. He shrugged, then pulled a rope which shot a giant fireball into a balloon that had an ad for the 1992 Olympics on it. As I sat in that little basket, the human embodiment of that this is fine meme, I considered whether this was all the biggest mistake of my life until we broke through the clouds and our visibility shot out for miles. We were floating over a white floor with the tops of mountains poking through the clouds like anthills. The silence struck me as much as the view. Since you're just riding on a gust of wind, you don't hear anything and you don't feel any breeze. It's completely still. Until a little device Javier had started aggressively beeping. This happened every maybe seven or eight minutes. When it did, he'd pull the string that sent another fireball into what was at the best case a 28-year-old balloon, and then the beeping would stop. I eventually asked what the beeping was, and he said it was an alarm to let us know we've been falling through the air at more than 50 meters per second for more than 10 seconds. It took a minute to register what he was saying. Basically, we wouldn't notice if the balloon was falling at 150 feet per second because we had no other reference. And if not for my guy Javier's little beepy thing, we would have built up so much downward momentum before we realized it that we might not be able to right the ship in time and we'd crash. Today, I want to talk about inertia, the most important force in the world. It drives you to make nearly every decision in your life, but you almost never notice it. And most of the time in life, we don't have beepers like Javier. There's nothing to tell us what direction we're moving in or how fast, or even if we wanted to be going that way in the first place. So let's get into it after a little smooth jazz and a new coffee machine. I'm Brian Scordato, and today's idea to start a podcast is brought to you by Blueprint. Blueprint is a coffee maker that's about to change your day. Today, we're talking about inertia, and Blueprint's coffee maker plays directly into that. It's a beautiful machine that makes fantastic coffee. What I like the most about it is how it anchors your day. I've structured and stacked habits on top of coffee for years. Blueprint helps you do that with an app that allows you to set and brew your coffee, but also guides you to set daily micro goals. One of my biggest takeaways from James Clear's stuff, particularly his book, Atomic Habits, is the power of small goals compounding. If you start at one push-up a day and you add one push-up each day, you'll be doing 60 push-ups a day in 60 days without realizing it. We've talked about habit stacking on the podcast too. Adding something you'd like to do onto something you already do is extremely effective. 
Blueprint drives that practice and anchors it all in delicious coffee. Their Indiegogo is live today. You can get 40% off if you're one of the first to purchase. Check out Blueprint Homes, spelled B-L-U-P-R-I-N-T-H-O-N-E dot com. Also, you might have noticed we took a few weeks off the podcast. To everyone who texted or emailed asking about why there wasn't an episode or saying that they missed it, thank you. It's always appreciated to know the show is helpful. And everyone who didn't reach out and said they missed it, don't think I didn't notice that too. Anyway, we skipped a few weeks because we're building out a self-serve version of the Accelerator program. You can sign up to be on the early launch list at gettacklebox.com backslash self-serve, all one word. Back to it. I absolutely cannot stop thinking about inertia. And because I can't stop thinking about it, you're going to have to listen to it. I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. I wrote an article on fundraising inertia that I've linked in the show notes if you're not on our email list. And instead of scratching the inertia itch, that just made me think about it more. The deeper I go, the more I'm beginning to think that inertia is the only thing that matters in life. The other day I read an article that I'll also link in the show notes that wasn't written to be about inertia, but at its core, that's all it was about. The article focused on social media and content spread. The author brought up two examples, Aaron Andrews and Donald Trump. Don't worry, this won't get political. Aaron Andrews is a sports journalist. Maybe 10 years ago now, a creep took a video of her through the window of her hotel room while she was changing. He posted it to the internet and it exploded. It was mortifying and criminal and all the things you're thinking, and the guy went to jail. Aaron Andrews vowed to get that video off the internet entirely. People were skeptical. It's on the internet, they said, which means it'll always be on the internet. But she pursued legal action when people posted it, and that legal action was publicized. It became known that if you posted it, if you even looked at it, you were breaking the law. So no one posted it, and no one looked at it. And now no one looks for it. If you really wanted to find it, you probably could in the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. But it'd take you a lot of time and effort, and there would be real risk. So people don't. It's basically disappeared. The second example on Donald Trump might be even more interesting. Once he was kicked off Twitter and Facebook, his ability to drive the daily news cycle evaporated. Recently, he started a blog. Everyone just assumed this would put him right back in his old position of pushing every day's top story, especially since every blog post was explicitly built to be shared by others on Twitter and Facebook, and his followers were instructed to do that. And they did, but it didn't matter. The exact same type of content that would have owned news cycles had it come from the former president's Twitter account was now irrelevant coming from a different source. It required people to care enough for a single extra click, and just about every casual observer didn't. The blog is already shut down. The point is that no matter how desirable, how infuriating, how exciting, or how controversial something might be, and how powerful the source of that thing, what actually matters is inertia the path the people were on. If that thing doesn't land directly in our path, it doesn't matter. Inertia is the tendency to not change no matter what. Our default state will always be that, our default state. Which makes channels or paths, the things people do each day, unbelievably important. And the actions of your customers, their default state, is to not use your product, which means you'll have to do the seemingly impossible to get them to change. So what do we do? I found an article called the 40 best startup ideas to start in 2021 
and they are all absolutely perfect whisper ideas. I'm having a little bit too much fun thinking about how I test each, trying to think through customer segments I might have insight into or a product idea I've always wanted to test. I might just print them all out and build a dartboard with them and use it to pick examples for every podcast. Today's random idea that caught my eye was titled Create a Local Grocery Delivery Service. At first I thought, yep, great idea. Let's go up against Amazon selling commodities. What could go wrong? But then it grew on me. We know Amazon and we know where they're headed with literally everything they do. They are going to be the fastest, the cheapest, the most convenient. They'll go after the fattest part of the bell curve and they'll use economies of scale and the pressure of being Amazon to eke out margins no one else could get. They might even just use groceries as a loss leader for Prime. Amazon benefits from inertia in every way in grocery. Everyone is already a Prime customer. Everyone already has a habit of buying from Amazon.com and the pandemic shifted everyone away from in-store grocery shopping. This is why Jeff Bezos made 150K while I said that last sentence. If you're gonna compete with that, you're gonna have to choose a customer that has a meaningfully different path because Amazon and other big box grocery delivery services will be good enough for most people. Maybe it's a customer segment that'll pay a premium for groceries that are more ethical or fresh or organic. Ironically, that's the old Whole Foods customer. Maybe it's customers that come from another country and are looking for a mix of ethnic groceries and more widely available staples. Maybe it's something else entirely. This wasn't my idea and I'm literally just making stuff up off the top of my head here. But we need somewhere to start, so we're going to start with that first customer. A super premium, ethical, fresh, organic customer that I've made up and we'll see if they exist. Quick side note because this has been bothering me. I'm seeing a lot of entrepreneurs get really precious with their starting line. They don't want to begin until they've got everything figured out, which means they spend a lot of time trying to figure stuff out that can't get figured out until after they've begun. It's a lot of tail chasing and nothing saps momentum like something that feels overwhelming. This is a great recipe to do that. Starting always decreases that overwhelming feeling. Putting a stake in the ground, knowing it'll probably be wrong, but pursuing at full speed for two weeks and then reassessing is the way to make progress and build momentum. You might even say inertia. So anyway, our first stake in the ground will be that first customer, the family that really wants fresh, organic, non-Amazon produce. And the first thing you need to know about a customer is their current path, all the things pushing and pulling them along that path, the inertia. It's tempting to start with a product, but your product needs to be a reaction to the inertia, not something that changes it. It needs to live within the path to minimize change. So we look for two things early with any potential customer. First, the path they're on, the amount of inertia behind that path. And second, a clear data point that leads us to believe they'll break that inertia and try something different. Ideally, they already have. I visualize all potential customers as if they're taking a road trip across the country. They're driving a car that's packed to the gills and they only stop a few times a day for food, gas, lodging, bathroom breaks, then maybe a national park or a museum or something like that. They're driving along that road I-80 that splits the country in two like a crack in a giant sidewalk and getting them off that planned route, getting them off I-80 for anything other than the things I just mentioned is tough. If you ask them to get off an exit and drive a few miles, they might, but there's gotta be a huge reward for them at the end. 
Nearly everything they do will conform to the path they're already on. When they need gas, they'll also take a bathroom break and they'll also get food 500 yards from the gas station. I actually have a few friends that match the description of our potential customer and I just couldn't help myself. This past weekend, I ran a few customer interviews. The first was with a newish family that lives in Cobble Hill in Brooklyn. They're financially successful. Both parents have great jobs and they've got two young kids. They're absurdly healthy and active. They've introduced me to the documentaries on Netflix on plant-based diets and on the horrors of the fishing industry. I figured new family plus high-powered jobs and salaries plus active and healthy and environmental would be an interesting conversation at the least. So I dug in on how they cook, what they eat, their current process for getting groceries. Their path was well-worn, as repetitive habits like this tend to be. Every action reinforces the previous one. Old habits are always going to be the hardest to break. The family got their core groceries from Amazon Weekly and had a recurring order. They picked up fresh produce from a grocery store near one of their offices a couple times a week. They had a fish store nearby that they went to weekly where they brought their youngest son for a walk. He liked looking at the lobster tank. As they talked through their flow, they realized it was actually pretty disjointed. Maybe they did need to find a place to get fresh produce delivered. And sometimes the fish store had a long line. Maybe they could skip that. What was it that I was building again, they asked. Would it be like CSA delivery? Would they be able to be on a beta test or an early customer list? They started getting excited. The tricky thing about inertia is that you don't notice it. You don't have an alarm like our good friend Javier. And this is why inertia is so dangerous for entrepreneurs. Because you and your customers won't understand how much it actually takes to change. As I mentioned, the customer I was interviewing was getting excited. The more we talked about her process, the more she thought she realized how silly it was to spend hours a week grocery shopping. So I asked if she'd commit to two months of my service. I made it up on the spot and said that it'd be a product where I delivered fresh caught fish and vegetables each week. I didn't say more than that. At first, she was nodding. Then she hesitated. Well, actually, now that she thought about it, her son really did like those lobster tanks. And she did like talking to the guy at the counter about what was freshest and what was local. And he helped with recipes and prep. Yeah, she'd probably like to keep that. So could she do it without the fish? But also on the produce, it was right by her husband's office and right next to where he played tennis on Mondays. He always grabbed it after that and it only took a minute and he got a protein shake from that place anyway. So it really wasn't a big deal. And then they didn't have to worry about being home for deliveries the thing fell apart. There are three big components of inertia. First, activation energy. We think of these at Tacklebox as inflection points. This is the moment where a new behavior is created, where your customer decides they need to get off the highway. You will not be able to create this. It needs to already be happening. You will latch onto it. If it isn't happening organically, like with the customer I just talked about, even if they say they'll do something new, they won't. Your first customer needs to be already turning off the highway for you to have a chance to sell them something new. This is the key to everything. It's rare that someone has just had enough of something and they decide to change. There needs to be an action that changes the baseline for your customer. If you're selling B2B, it's after they raise their first round of funding or hire a designer or decide to start paid advertising. It's when someone has a baby or is diagnosed as gluten-free or moves to New York City from Shanghai for work. If you can't pinpoint a moment that'll be your window, 
your opportunity to sneak in behavior change. Even Javier can't help you. Second is baggage. We've all got more baggage than a contestant on The Bachelor. I picture this as everything a customer is carrying in the car. And for the record, I picture that car as the wood paneled one from National Lampoon's Vacation. This baggage that customer's prior beliefs, which again, you can't change. Their prior experience, also not something you can change. And finally, all the rest of the stuff in the car. The space in the car is zero sum, and most people are already packed to the gills. Cognitively, people can't just add things continuously. There were plenty of people who were willing and even interested in cutting the cord in the early get rid of your cable box and use streaming services days, but they didn't because it just take a lot of mental effort to switch. You can think of this as switching costs. With the bigger the costs and the less willing to change the customer, the more inertia for the current path. You can't work against this. You have to work with it. And third, the final component of inertia is stacking. This is what happened with our interview eight. Maybe the fish store in isolation doesn't seem convenient, but it's not in isolation. It's part of a more complex behavior. There's no one-for-one -one swap. Finding a Coke could be hard, but finding a Coke once you're already in the gas station is most certainly not. Context is critical for inertia. Understanding the stack behavior you're truly up against, behaviors are never isolated, is critical. Figuring out what you'd have to unwind for your customer to actually use your product is imperative. The big takeaway today is how heavily the deck is stacked against change. Big change, small change, shout out Bill Raftery, any type of change. Customers will think they're far more willing to change than they are, and they'll often lead you down paths that'll end up with you building something no one actually wants. The key is in understanding the path and making sure you find customers that are already signaling to get off the exit ramp. Once someone's moving in a certain direction, it's hard to get them to change, but this works for you too. If you catch them when they are changing and you become the new path, you can build something seriously meaningful and you can put a pretty deep moat around it. Give a holler if you want to talk through inertia. It's a tricky one, and I'm still wrapping my head around it for being honest. Brian at GetTackleBox.com works, as always. And if you're interested in working on this stuff with us, our self-serve accelerator for founders with full-time jobs is getting closer and it's going to fill up fast. The first cohort will start July 15th. GetTackleBox.com to check it out. Have a great week.